What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter and Facebook for the latest updates. Uh, excited to be back with you folks this week. Uh, first uh, Monday in February, and you know, for college hockey fans around the around the region, you know, that's a kind of a secret code for uh, the Bean Pod, which you know we'll get to uh, with the uh, college hockey uh, tournament that you know happens every year in early February. So. Um, We'll obviously get to that. Plenty of Celtics um, as the trade deadline is coming up this week. I have a guest for Guest Friday, as I had mentioned on the socials, so that will be uh, good to kind of get some reaction later in the week if the Celtics are indeed active at the trade deadline. Certainly there's going to be plenty of trades between now and then, and, you know, there already was a massive trade, so we'll We'll get to that later when we talk about the NBA, but uh, before we get going, we'd like to uh, say thanks to John Veneziano coming back on Guest Friday again, doing a kind of revolution season preview, talking about some uh, the players and kind of what to expect for this year's team. So uh, if you have not listened to that, you can go ahead and listen to that um, already on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but uh, we're going to get going today. Going to get right into the Celtics with the trade deadline coming up on Thursday. I thought it made a lot of sense to uh, take a look at some of the um, candidates that this, or some players the Celtics could be looking at to try to uh, bring in uh, between now and uh, the deadline at 3 p.m. on Thursday. So I will be, you know, reacting to the moves later this week, but, you know, it kind of makes sense to look at some of the guys that the Celtics could possibly be looking at. Uh, one of the names that I thought was very interesting, uh, Kelly Olynyk. You know, obviously, we all know what uh, what Kelly did here in Boston. You know, as a pretty solid offensive player, you know, kind of a stretch four. Um, and I think that, you know, the Celtics, I think, looking at two particular areas to improve. Um, I think one of them is kind of front court depth you know, giving you someone else with size that can kind of ease the load on Rob Williams and Al Horford specifically. Um, I think to his credit, Luke Cornett has done a really nice job filling in when he's needed, but I do think they probably are going to need to get someone a little bit more consistent. So Olenek, I think, is a guy that brings a great offensive profile for what he can do, you know, as a guy that can, you know, drive set up other guys he can shoot you know you know we 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 know here in boston that you know him he can make shots and make threes and i think that you know that's kind of the type of player off the bench the celtics are looking for you know someone that can be a little bit more consistent shooting the ball um, as opposed to sam hauser who's had some issues over the last few months with his shooting but i think olenic would be a good fit but i think for most of these guys that I'm going to list, there kind of becomes an issue that the Celtics, you know, don't really have, you know, kind of trying to figure out the easiest way to explain this, but the Celtics can only bring on a certain amount of money. Um, and I think, 
you know, for the Celtics to bring in Olenek, who I believe is making $12 million this season, the Celtics would have to send back $12 million to make the salaries match. And I think that, you know, that would almost have to include Danilo Gallinari's salary, you know, which I think I'm not sure the Celtics are going to want to do. I think just based on the fact that I think they might believe that he's working his way back to be available at some point, you know, but I just think that I don't think that they would do that. Um, so I just don't know how available Olenek would be. And I think, you know, clearly if Danny Ainge is on the other side with Olenek on the Jazz, you know, he most certainly would want something pretty good from the Celtics. So, you know, I think Olenek just in terms of a player would be a good fit, but I just don't know how the money would work. You know, Mason Plumley is another player that I'm not really sure how the money would work, but I think he's got good size. You know, he can score around the rim. He's a decent rebounder, decent defender, you know, kind of has his, his issues, I think, as a player. You know, isn't a good free throw shooter, but, you know, in all likelihood, the Celtics would be asking him to play very minimal minutes. And I think that that would kind of be the common thing with, any of these bigs that they would bring in as backups. You know, these are guys that you're looking to probably play 12 to 15 minutes a night. Now, I think that it's just a little bit frustrating that I kind of thought that that's what the point was in bringing in Blake Griffin, but clearly, you know, the Celtics don't really see him as much of a rotation piece. So, you know, I kind of am not sure you know what the what the market for the for bigs would look like for the Celtics because I think there's very little guys that would really be available. I mean, I think really what's would be easier for the Celtics to acquire would be someone that's kind of a, a, a wing player, you know, someone that can kind of play a similar position to Sam Hauser, but is a little bit more consistent with knocking down shots. Now Alec Burks would be someone that could be an interesting candidate. You know, he's a good shooter. I believe is shooting a career high, um, shooting a career high three point percentage this season. Solid defender, pretty athletic player. So I think he would be a good fit. Javante Green, I think, would also be a good fit too. Former Celtic again. You know, someone that I think has not played since New Year's Eve because of a knee injury, but he does appear to be getting closer. So. You know, he's someone that's also shooting a career high from three. You know, as an athletic, versatile defender. He's good friends with Jason Tatum. So, you know, he's someone that I don't think would cost really anything to bring in because I believe he's only making about $2 million. So, you know, the Celtics wouldn't have any trouble bringing him in. Uh, P.J. Washington is another player that I think would be very interesting. Kind of gives you a similar kind of a similar offensive skill set uh, to Grant Williams. You know, P.J. is someone that can shoot the three, has a pretty good offensive game. Defensively, you know, I think does have his deficiencies, um, but I think he would be a good solid addition as, you know, someone that does have size, but he's not necessarily a good rebounder. You know, he's kind of more of a scorer. Um, so that would be interesting, and the Celtics could fit him into um, the Dennis Schroeder trade exception that they still have at $5.9 million, so they could fit him into that. Um, but then, you know, then I think the question becomes, 
what do you think about him moving forward? Because, you know, he and Grant Williams are very similar players, and I think that, you know, you would basically be making a decision in the summer about signing him or Grant Williams long-term. So, you know, I think the Celtics could do that, you know, kind of a light a fire under Grant Williams because he's not really been playing well recently. But, you know, I think that that's a decision that they would have to make if they go that route. Um, but I think based on kind of the little room to work with the Celtics have in terms of trades, looking at someone in the buyout market might be more realistic that the Celtics can, you know, negotiate with a player to, you know, have a salary that's not going to be, you know, what it currently is. So, for example, someone like Alec Burks, I believe, is making is making at least $10 million a year. The Celtics could see if he gets bought out by the Pistons, um, and they could bring him in on kind of a smaller deal. So, you know, there's, you know, there's Terrence Ross for the Magic that could also be a candidate to get bought out. Um, and I think that, you know, his skill set, you know, we as Celtics fans are pretty familiar with his skill set and, you know, how, how he can change a game offensively. So I think he would be a fantastic, fantastic fit, you know, if they go that route. Uh, Nerlens Noel would also be, I think, a solid pickup as well in terms of the bigs. Um, he would, I think, also be a buyout candidate as well. So, you know, I think that there's opportunity that the Celtics could make a trade, but I think it might make more sense if they wait till the buyout market and see who's available. I mean, it is possible that they could make a trade. I just not sure if, you know, there's a move out there that really can, you know, drastically improve the team. Like, I think that they're looking at guys that can kind of fill in the margins and, get a little bit deeper, you know, and maybe kind of give a shot in the arm. But this is not a team that's going to be making a trade like they did for Derek White last year. I don't think they're going to be making kind of a move like that, that, you know, costs a roster player, a young player, and a first-round pick. They're not going to be making a trade like that because the Celtics are very clearly in a better spot than they were a year ago at the trade deadline. So I think that... It is possible that they make kind of a small move, either someone that's a wing player off the bench or a big. I seem to think that the, the bigs would be a more likely position that you could get someone in a trade. Um, and then kind of you wait and see in the buyout market, see if you could get an Alec Burks or a Terrence Ross or, you know, who knows? Who knows about Gallinari too? Because, you know, the skill set that he has is, you know, pretty much exactly what Terrence Ross can give you in terms of offense off the bench. So, you know, we'll see. It's interesting, but I think don't expect the Celtics to do something crazy. You know, I honestly wouldn't be surprised that they didn't do anything, but I do think that there's going to be some move that they'll be able to make, even if it's, you know, a second round pick for, you know, Willie Hernan Gomez or, you know, I don't know. They find a way to work around, work around Kelly Olynyk's contract um, or Mason Plumley. You know, I think that that's something that we could see. But honestly, 
we'll kind of wait and see what happens uh, Thursday 3 p.m. trade deadline and then you know guess Friday I'll be reacting to that with a guest so that will be uh, something to look forward to um, now kind of talking about the team on the floor uh, the Celtics are continuing to I think having some issues without Marcus Smart and you know we talked about it at length last week that you know, not having him in the lineup has really affected the offense, and it's affected getting Jalen and Jason easier looks, and I think that they've had to do more of the, the scoring themselves, um, and I think also not having smart affects the energy level, you know, and the focus, and I think it was pretty clear on Friday that it didn't really seem like the Celtics had an interest in playing that game, and you know, it's disappointing because, you know, again, you know, and I think we talked about this in like some weeks ago that you have to understand that when teams are coming in to play you, especially at the Garden, they're going to be looking to give you their absolute best shot. And this is a Phoenix team that was a little bit shorthanded. You know, their bench were playing like, I mean, that, that bench was playing the way that you would expect every single team to come in and play the Celtics, that they're going to come in, play hard, do what's expected, and, you know, outwork you. And it just is kind of disappointing that the Celtics have had games like this where teams can come in and just kind of impose their will, and the Celtics kind of let them. Um, now, I kind of don't really know whether to make kind of a big deal out of it because they have had a lot of games this year where that's happened. But at the same time, when you don't have someone like Marcus Smart, who's kind of the unquestioned leader of the team in terms of, you know, spirit and the way that he plays defense and the way that he gets guys up, you know, I think that it's it's challenging for a group like this that I think as talented as they are, they miss a guy like that. And I think just having someone that can get easier shots for your stars helps them get in rhythm quicker, you know, and I think Jason was chasing the game on Friday, you know, had an awful shooting night and just kept trying to shoot himself back in the game. And that's kind of what it felt like the Celtics were doing all night that they were, they would get close. Phoenix would go on a run. They get close again. Phoenix would go on a run. And it just seemed like, there wasn't a rhythm to this game and they were not, you know, operating the same way that they were Wednesday night when they destroyed the Nets. You know, they weren't knocking down the open shots. You know, they weren't creating for other guys. And I think, yeah, not knocking down open shots is going to kill you in pretty much any game you play. But it just was not the way that they should be playing offensive basketball. And I understand that it's hard without Marcus Smart, but they think that something's got to give. You have to be able to get up for games like this. You can't be taking teams for granted. I mean, it's just like, I think in a way I could understand taking a team like the Magic for granted, you know, and that's kind of what's happened. Celtics have lost three out of four to that team that I think I could kind of understand that, okay, Orlando has a bad record, you're going to come into the game thinking, okay, this team isn't good, we're going to be able to coast, 
And it's like, not that I get that, but to a point I kind of do, but not with the Phoenix Suns. Like, I understand that their record was around 500, but it's like, it's Chris Paul, it's DeAndre Ayton. This team went to the finals two years ago. This is not a team that's just going to let you walk all over them because that's what happened the first meeting. If you remember way back in December, the Celtics blew the doors off of the Suns, beat them by 27 points. You better believe that that Phoenix team remembered that and came into this game thinking, okay, we have to, you know, show that we're not going to get punked on our home floor, and they kind of return the favor. Um, and it just kind of goes back to that mentality where it kind of doesn't make sense that the Celtics almost don't understand the teams are coming into the Garden to try to beat them. It's like you won the Eastern Conference last year. Teams are going to be gunning for you. You made the finals. Like, there has to be some way that the Celtics can, you know, get up for games like that. And I understand that some people might think, you know, that's where the coach needs to step in. But this is a group that's been together for a while. This is a core group of guys that, with or without Marcus Smart, they've played together for a long period of time. And they need to pick it up. You know, I understand that it is, it is in a way, the coach's job to, to motivate. But it's like the players have to be able to motivate themselves at a certain point. And I just think, look, you are not a young team. You're not a team that is, you know, kind of a young up-and-coming team that needs to be motivated motivated by their coach. They're a team that made the finals last year. You don't need to be waiting for your coach to motivate you. I just, like, that whole idea of the coach needs to motivate you, well, yeah, but in certain situations. This is a Celtics team that's kind of a veteran team. You know, maybe not by age, but certainly by experience. You look at all the big games Jalen and Jason have played throughout their careers. You know, you got to be able to get up for games like that. And, you know, who knows? It could just be a random thing that the Celtics are going to have games like that. And I think it's hard to sit here and complain when they have the best record in the NBA or tied for the best record, I should say, 37 and 16. But you know, it's one of those trends that you hope that it's not something that continues when Marcus Smart comes back. Um, I think that the Celtics, unfortunately, may have to be playing with playing without Marcus Smart for a period. As there was a report last week that he is progressing, but there is a possibility that he does not return until after the All Star break. And you know, we'll take a look at the schedule the, the, the schedule for the next couple of weeks. It's not really easy. You got three teams that you are going to, you know, that you are going to have battles with. So I'm very curious to see if he is able to come back before the All-Star break, kind of see what's going on with that in the next couple of days. Um, in terms of other Celtics news, Jalen Brown named a reserve to the All-Star team uh, or named an Eastern Conference reserve. You know, they do that whole draft thing, so he won't necessarily be playing for an Eastern for the Eastern Conference team because it's I think it's LeBron and Giannis that are like the team captains so they'll choose the the players but great honor for Jalen you know I think they definitely deserved it I think that maybe according to some people he could have been a starter but 
you know, I think I'm pretty happy with him making the All-Star team. Uh, Joe Mazzulla will coach Team Giannis as the Celtics, I think, at a certain point had the best record in the East. So he will coach the uh, All-Star team with or captained by Giannis. So that will be kind of interesting to see what goes on with that. But pretty exciting honor for uh, both of these guys. You know, and then as I mentioned, the schedule is kind of challenging between now and the All-Star break. Celtics have uh, six games, including tonight on the road in Detroit, you know, and not to kind of beat a dead horse, but this is a team that the Celtics need to be getting up for. Um, You know, this is a young team, not very good, but it's like the Celtics need to be focused in this game. Um, They cannot be looking ahead to Wednesday night when they play the Sixers. You know, this needs to be a focused team effort tonight. Um, So Detroit tonight, Phoenix, or excuse me, Philadelphia on Wednesday, then another home game, Charlotte on Friday, and then they'll welcome the uh, Memphis Grizzlies to the Garden on Sunday at 2 o'clock. Luckily, I'll be able to be seeing the Celtics in person that afternoon, so hopefully they kind of bring it for uh, John Morant and the Grizzlies, and then the Celtics close out the pre-All-Star break with games at Milwaukee and then Detroit. So that's a back-to-back as they're in Milwaukee, then at home against Detroit. So four out of the next six are at home. So hopefully the Celtics can kind of get off, um, can get off on the right foot uh, before the All-Star break. So I think that's probably going to do it for the Celtics. We're going to get to the Bruins. And obviously the Bruins are uh, starting their bye week this week after their uh, kind of lengthy break before the All-Star break. Um, so the Bruins uh, still, I think, yeah, five five days from their next game, which is a home game against the Washington Capitals Saturday afternoon at 3.30. That's an ABC game. So that's the Bruins' next game. Uh, Bruins were really impressive last week in their final game before the All-Star break, a 5-2 win in Toronto. And I think that just goes to show you that this is a team that just continues to, you know, show its mettle and show that it's a team that can move on from disappointing losses. You know, I think that that's a good word to describe that Sunday loss or last Sunday's loss to um, Carolina, but the Bruins responded and I think honestly played one of their best games of the season on the road. Um, and I think this team just has an uncanny, uncanny ability to show, you know, huge character and grit after losses. And yes, they haven't had a lot of losses this season, but just the way that they've been able to bounce back in tough situations, you know, after that, you know, road trip that was kind of bumpy. You know, the Bruins lost some games, didn't play well in some of the games, had some, you know, mental mental lapses in some games. But, you know, they came out in Toronto last Wednesday and said, this is the game, or this is a game that belongs to us, and, you know, <laughs> it was just a really good performance by a lot of guys in the lineup, you know, Zaka had a couple goals, Coyle two assists, AJ Greer had a goal, you know, the Bruins got two goals from their defensemen, five of their defensemen had points um, in this game, you know, Carlo with the goal, Forbert with the shorthanded goal, so, 
just everywhere there were contributions in this game and just goes to show you how this team just <laughs> just somehow continues to impress you you know you would think that after you know even kind of a bumpy road trip that okay you know this is a team that is going to kind of just ease its way into the all-star break but they said no you know they showed up in a really tough hostile environment and came away with a win came away with a win against a team that is most likely going to play in the playoffs so you know really important win you know showing the character and just whatever it takes or whatever it requires to be able to get a win against a good team and i think the bruins had played a good amount of solid teams on the road trip but i think just to finish the trip with a good solid performance to send you into the break you know kind of gave you some momentum that okay we were able to kind of fix some things you know be able to be able to score first be able to hold a lead um, and just be able to you know not let toronto do what it wanted to do offensively and you know old mark was great again and it just it just kind of blows my mind that this is a team that just continues to impress game after game even after having you know a stumble of some games they're able to come back and just say that you know we'll lose some games but we're going to come back with a great effort the game after or games after you know whatever it is so really impressive win for the Bruins and they get a much needed break so no games for them until Saturday afternoon at the Garden that will be a fun game to watch as Bruins and Capitals there's always a always some blood boiling in that game so be interesting to see what transpires Jacob Lauko uh, was called up last week and had an assist in Toronto really good to see him back I think that he's someone that would like to I would like to see an extended look for him um, he really impressed me earlier in the season and I think you know having just someone that can play with energy um, and give you some hard playing minutes you know give you some hits he had three hits in the seven minutes that he played so really impressed with him AJ Greer had a really entertaining game with a goal and a fight I was an assist away from a Gordie Howe hat trick, but, you know, both of those guys, I think, were really impressive. So to be curious to see if Lauko sticks around. Um, I think still some question about, you know, who's going to stick around in the bottom six. You know, where are they going to slot certain players? Um, just, I think, very curious how they approach the deadline um we'll get to that in a couple minutes but there were i think some reports last week that the bruins may be getting closer with david posternak as his agent don sweeney seemed to be talking pretty regularly um, i think the report was from elliot friedman i want to say that the bruins are getting closer to a contract uh, with posternak but they might be paying more money than they would like so you know that to me means that you know in my opinion probably is making you know that probably means like 11 and a half or 12 million which is a little bit more than I personally would pay but I think that there's no concern that the Bruins won't get this done it's just 
might be more money than they would have liked. So, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be, but it's like David Pasternak is a top 10 player in the league, might even be a top five player in the league. And it's just to be able to keep a guy like that around, you have to, you know, pay a lot of money to him. So, you know, it certainly is going to create some interesting, interesting kind of uh, salary cap stuff in the summer, um, you know, with that new contract. But, you know, you want to keep him around. He's going to be the, the face of your franchise for the next 10 years. So I think you want to keep him around. So it's good news. You know, I'm not really concerned that they're not going to get a contract done. I think it's just at the end of the day, he wants to be here. Bruins want him to be here. And I think, you know, whatever the price is going to be is what it's going to be. So, you know, I don't really think that whatever the price is going to be, that it's going to be, you know, bad. Um, it's going to be a lot, but I think he's worth it. <laughs> like, you've seen him play this year. Like, I think that he is definitely worth, you know, upwards of $11 million, which is probably what it's going to take to get him signed. So I'd be curious to see if there's any movement on that this week or in the next few weeks. Um, but I think... You know, as I mentioned, the, the bye week is huge for this team. But I think, yes, of course, they've been unbelievable. You know, 39-7-5, which is just, you know, video game numbers, as I've said multiple times this season. Uh, but I think it's a good opportunity. The Bruins can kind of reset, get some rest. Guys can kind of, I don't want to say rehab, but like be able to, you know, if guys have bumps and bruises, they can be able to rest you know, relax, go on vacation, spend time with their family. You know, I really am, I really like this bye week that the NHL has been doing, I think, for the last couple of years for each team, just to kind of get a week off, just to reset. And I think for the Bruins, it comes at a perfect time, kind of a natural, I don't want to say midway point of the season, because that's not right, but like just a break in the action that guys can relax, again, go on vacation, spend time with their families and just kind of reset and refocus for the stretch run because, you know, this team is not going to get a break between now and, you know, in the spring, however far they go in the playoffs. Um, but I do think that, you know, this is a team that I think has done so well and has blown through the rest of the league that, you know, I think you start to think about you know, what this team is going to look like as they approach, you know, a playoff spot and what the plan is going to be once they get there and how are they going to approach the rest of the season. Because I think on one hand, the Bruins want to be able to continue playing at a high clip and getting points, but at the same time, you don't want to be running guys into the ground to win the President's Trophy, you know? But I think on the other hand, you don't want to be you know, resting guys or having guys take games off and things like that. And then when the playoffs come, you're kind of, you know, having to re-ramp up, if that makes sense, where it's like, you know, if the Bruins kind of slowly approach the end of the season and, you know, the playoffs could come and they're not prepared, you know, because they've been not off, but like not in the mindset of, you know, I don't know, it's difficult because, you know, playoffs and regular season 
are two totally different things. You know, there's a difference between, you know, going hard in the regular season, but then taking kind of a, I don't know, slow down break and then have to kind of ramp up for the playoffs. I don't know. It's just a, something that I think a lot of people are thinking about in terms of, you know, how do they approach the last, you know, 30 games or so and how do they approach, you know, the last 10 to 15 games if the Bruins, you know, continue on this pace, they continue, clinch a playoff spot, then okay, you know, what's the thought process there? So, you know, just kind of some things to think about, but good timing for the bye week, I think, for this team. Um, you know, obviously last week, the New York Islanders made big moves, or made a big move, I should say, trading for Bo Horvat from Vancouver. Anthony Beauvillier, a prospect and a first-round pick, going back to Vancouver. So I think certainly a price that the Bruins were not going to match, to be perfectly honest. But I think it just is kind of interesting because that might set the market for kind of a high-priced free agent to be. You know, if you consider Timo Meyer to be that, that might be a package of what it takes to get him to a new team. They think the Bruins want to be careful about messing up too much of the chemistry that they have. Um, I do expect that they're going to make some moves, but I don't think that it's going to be anything that's going to, you know, set the world on fire. And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, you got to go all in. You have a tremendous team. But I think at the same time, you look at some of the teams that have won the cup over the last 10 years or so, not a lot of them have, you know, quote-unquote, won the trade deadline. And I think the Bruins are a team that they kind of just need some small tweaks. You bring in another defenseman, bring in another, you know, kind of middle six forward, and I think you're set. I don't think you need Patrick Kane. I don't think you need Timo Meyer. I don't think you need a big-time player that, you know, you're going to have to shuffle your team and your lineup around for. Um, so... It'll be interesting to see as we get closer to the deadline, which I think is March 3rd. So we have about a month or so before then. So I think that's probably going to do it for the Bruins. We're going to get to talking a little bit about the Patriots as the Patriots coaching staff got an opportunity to coach the Shrine Bowl. The uh, West team, coached by Troy Brown, won 12-3. Definitely a uh, definitely a uh, low-scoring defensive game. You know, I feel like it's a score that you never really see for football, but I think tremendous uh, defensive um, football. So good stuff from the Patriots coaching staff. Um, just some other players that kind of stood out um, here. Not names that. Me personally, I'm, I'm going to know a lot about, but um, Patriots um, were raving about a couple of these players um, during the prep meetings for the broadcasts. So a couple linebackers, NC State's Isaiah Moore, Utah's Mo Diabate, I think is how you say it. Um, and they also looked at Eric Scott Jr., cornerback from Southern Miss. So clearly the Patriots looking at you know, some guys on the defensive side of the ball, you know, not necessarily that, okay, they're going to draft these guys, but just some guys that, you know, it seemed like they were, they were interested in. There was one player that I thought is kind of an interesting 
player that I think the Patriots might look at um, is Michigan's kicker, Jake Moody. Um, watched some college football this year. Uh, really impressed with him, and I think as he actually made all three of his field goals in this game, had two touchbacks. He won the uh, Luke Rosa Award for the top kicker in the nation in 2021, I think. You know, as good as Nick Folk has been for this Patriots team, he is getting older, and I think that looking at someone like Moody, I think would make a lot of sense, you know, and I think there probably are going to be other people looking at him because I think he's the best kicker in the draft, but I think uh, that could be a position the Patriots look at um, at some point. And then obviously the Senior Bowl took place uh, this past weekend as well. I think the Shrine Bowl was a Thursday night last week, and then the uh, Senior Bowl was this weekend. Some players that I think could be interesting. Um, I'm looking at a couple of um, articles on uh, Patriots.com. This particular article about the Senior Bowl written by Evan Lazar. Um, so this was the event that uh, Kyle Duggar was picked, or participated in the event before getting picked. Uh, by the Patriots, um, and so Evan Lazar looks at some of these guys at key positions that the Patriots could be looking at. Uh, Dewan Jones from um, Ohio State, you may have noticed uh, some clips on Twitter from him, just an absolute monster of a human being, 6'8", 375 pounds, and a ridiculous 80, 89 and a half inch wingspan, which is just doesn't even make sense, <laughs> but he's definitely someone the Patriots could look at. Uh, Darnell Wright was another player from Tennessee. Both of these players, Jones and Wright, are protect, projected to be um, fairly early picks, probably day two picks, second round, but I think two guys the Patriots could possibly look at. Some wide receivers, I think the Patriots were impressed with uh, Tank Dell, who... Uh, played in the uh, played in the slot, kind of a smaller guy, but does have some good uh, does have some good open field skills. Um, I think oh, there's a running back that I thought, yeah, I think it was Tajay Spears from Tulane, who's a day two pick. Um, I think could look at kind of a speed back, but I think to be perfectly honest, if the Patriots are looking at running back it probably would make sense to um, look at someone who can be more of a receiver. Um, so kind of curious about that particular position. Um, I think cornerback the Patriots could certainly look at um, with kind of not sure about Jonathan Jones, although I feel like there was something recently, I think I'd seen it on social media, that it was some conversation that Devin McCourty had had with John Jones about kind of being one of those leaders on the defense. So, you know, I go back and forth with Jonathan Jones because I think I would love to have him return, and I think the Patriots would too. It's just what the heck are teams going to offer on the open market, and do the Patriots feel that they're going to match any offer or what it's going to look like because, oh, it's just hard because... You know, John is a really good player and I think means a lot to the locker room. And I think, you know, the Patriots should kind of do everything in their power 
to bring him back unless there's a team that breaks the bank for him. But I think I would like to see him return. But if he doesn't, you know, that's a position the Patriots could look at in the draft as well. Um, you know, I think that I think more lean more draft than free agency is the free agency pool for cornerbacks this year is not particularly deep. And that might also be another reason why Jonathan Jones might get a big money contract as he might be the only kind of close to a top tier cornerback um, in the free agent market. So to be curious to see what his market's going to be, you know, I'd say the same thing for Jacoby Myers as well. Um, but I think if the Patriots are looking to improve in the wide receiver market in terms of trades, I do think there's going to be a plethora of guys available. You know, I think with Brady's for good retirement, you know, we'll see. <laughs> you know, I think it might make sense for the Patriots to check in on uh, the Tampa Bay wide receivers, Godwin and Chris, or Godwin and uh, Mike Evans. You know, DeAndre Hopkins has certainly been a name that's been floated around. You know, kind of heard conflicting reports about whether he'd be willing to come back and play for Bill O'Brien. I mean, clearly, you know, there was some animosity after O'Brien traded Hopkins a couple of years ago, but who knows? You know, I think that time has passed and the guys could reconcile, but, you know, who knows? Um, I think Jerry Judy would also be a name to look at. T. Higgins as well. Um, Judy was uh, Mac Jones' roommate at Alabama, so Patriots could make a trade offer over uh, to the Broncos, but kind of curious to see what goes on with that team as Sean Payton is now the head coach. You know, what's hit, what are his plans for the offense? So just some names to kind of keep your eye on. DJ Moore would also be another name in Carolina. Um, you know, curious with the new coaching staff with Frank Reich, uh, but I think those are just some names the Patriots could be possibly looking at in the trade market. So I think I think that's going to do it, although I probably probably should have mentioned to you guys um, at, the, at the start of the broadcast that uh, you can read my written content at uh, Musket Fire. I recently took a job as a contributor, wrote my first article last week about the Patriots tight ends, do have another article in the works currently that should be out in the next couple of days. So right as we were about to switch over to the Red Sox, there's a news blast that the Patriots are uh, seemingly close with Adrian Clem um, to be their new offensive line coach. So uh, Clem was in for offensive coordinator interviews a couple of weeks ago. There were some thoughts the Patriots could bring him in as offensive line coach, so it appears that he will be joining the Patriots, but we'll give you any more updates uh, if they come in. But definitely tremendous news for the Patriots. Uh, Clem was an off the offensive line coach, I think associate head coach at Oregon, um, as they had a pretty tremendous offense this season. So I'd be curious to see how he can kind of help along the offensive line because this is a team that needs a shakeup in terms of probably in coaching, but probably in personnel as well. So uh, exciting stuff for the Patriots. Also, last little tidbit, Nick Cayley, Patriots tight end coach last season, has taken the tight end coach job in Los Angeles with the Rams. So good, you know, good stuff for Nick, you know, being able to get a job elsewhere. You know, I think that 
he's not not necessarily a coach that a lot of us know a lot about, but he had been, I think, with the organization for the last seven or eight years, I want to say. So, you know, congrats to Nick on his new head coaching position, or uh, new coaching position, I should say. Um, you know, it's funny, he actually was a, or no, he was an offensive coordinator candidate. I think the Patriots had interviewed him and the Jets had interviewed him as well. But he takes that job in Los Angeles with the Rams. So we're now going to get into a little bit of Red Sox. Not a lot of news for a baseball team that, you know, as we kind of talked about at length last week, you know, really don't know what to make of this team. Um, and I think it's just, you know, as I said at the end of the season, it was you know, a team that I think really needed to be able to, you know, have a defined plan. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, you know, whatever you want to believe about whether the Red Sox indeed had visions for, you know, Xander Bogarts to be a part of this team for the foreseeable future, you know, the plans fell through. I think, you know, this is now a team that's looking to kind of just plug up some of their weaknesses. And, you know, it's a team that, no, sorry. <laughs> it's a team that, you know, is excited about the season. You know, you've kind of heard that from some of the, you know, current Red Sox or guys that are joining the team, that they're excited about this season. And I think that there could be something to be said for a team going into a season that no one really believes them or no one believes in them and no one really believes that they can contend. I think, you know, there's something to be said for a team that could come in with nothing to lose, that, okay, nobody expects anything from us, but let's just go out and play. So, you know, I think I'm hoping that that's the team's mindset. I know the fan base is, you know, pretty fed up with the front office in terms of some of the things that they have or haven't done in the offseason. But, you know, I think one area I'm particularly kind of looking forward to is the bullpen. And I think, you know, the Red Sox kind of made that a emphasis in the offseason. Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin, uh, Joely Rodriguez, Richard Blyer, in this recent trade with the Marlins, um, it seems like the Red Sox are really trying to put some fresh arms in the bullpen. And I think a good bullpen can go a long way because I think that it means that if the Red Sox can get healthy, solid, healthy pitching from Chris Sale, James Paxton, Corey Kluber in particular, you know, this is a team that can get games to the bullpen and they can shut them down. So, you know, you hope that the Red Sox can kind of beat one of those teams, you know, offensively, it's going to be what it's going to be. You know, I think you expect Devers to do what he or do what he does. Um, but I think, you know, curious to see what, you know, Yoshida can do. If he's a guy that's going to be leading off against right-handed pitchers, you know, what can Adam Duvall do? Is he going to start every day? You know, what do you see from Justin Turner? You know, I think there are a lot of questions about this team, but 
you know, I think building a good bullpen is a good way to start. And I know that, yes, you know, we can talk days on end about the Bogarts thing, but I think that there could be reason to be optimistic about this year's team. And, you know, I know that that's easy for me because I'm just a eternal optimist, as they say. But, you know, I think that this is a team that could surprise some people. Um, so pitchers and catchers report for the Red Sox uh, next Wednesday, the 15th. So, yeah, it's getting close to around that time. The Red Sox have uh, sent the truck down to Fort Myers. So, you know, you'll start hearing reports about players getting down there. So curious to see if anyone's down there early, you know, who's down there, who's, you know, looking good. It would be interesting to pay attention to those things. I think we're going to hit you guys with a little bit of revolution talk. Uh, John Veneziano was obviously with me last week on Guest Friday as we talked about the revolution in their upcoming season. Revs had played a couple of preseason games tying once and then losing the other day. As both of these games are in Florida, Revs giving a lot of playing time to their younger players, which is exciting to see. You know, Noel Buck, Justin Rennix, Damian Rivera, Byrak Tarevich. We've, John and I talked about a couple of those guys last week. So, you know, good opportunity for those guys. You know, Josie Altador, Dylan Barrero have had opportunities to play. So I think really good, tremendous opportunities for some of these young guys to continue playing. So the Revs will play um, another preseason match on uh, Friday against Nashville. FC down there in Florida. Obviously, Revs season opener is Feb February, Saturday, February 25th in Charlotte, and then the home opener is Saturday, March 4th. So, looking forward to the Revs season. Carlos Heel is uh, has been playing some of the some of the preseason minutes. Uh, Latif Blessing has also been playing one of the Revolution's acquisitions from the off season. Uh, Dave Romney as well played some minutes in uh, yesterday's game down in Florida. So exciting, exciting stuff for the Revs as they're trying to get their season going, get it off, uh, started on the right foot. So I think just going to give you guys one little, one more little tidbit before we get to some national sports stuff. Uh, obviously, as you heard me talk about at the top of the uh, podcast today. The uh, bean pot is uh, underway tonight. Uh, five o'clock is the first semifinal, semifinal and eight o'clock, the second semifinal and then the championship and the third place game will be next Monday. So in the first game, you got Harvard and BC. Harvard's had a pretty good team this year, 13 and four in the ECAC conference. Um, BC's had a little bit of a tough time this season, under 500, but I think in games like this, or in tournaments like this, you never know. You know, I think that's what's so great about this event, that even if teams are struggling and not having a good season, they can still get up for this particular tournament. So I think this will be a good game. Harvard's been a very good team this year, um, but I think BC will give them everything they got. Um, then at 8 o'clock, BU and Northeastern will play. BU's been unbelievable this season, number three um, in the country. 
Uh, Northeastern's been pretty solid in the Hockey East. Not as good overall, but I think this should be a good game with, um, you know, BU having the season that they're having and then Northeastern that recently has had good success in the B-Pot. Uh, BU is able to beat Northeastern one to nothing last year in the final. So be interesting to see what happens tonight. Five o'clock BU and Northeastern, excuse me, five o'clock BC and Harvard, and then eight o'clock BU and Northeastern. So I think that's going to do it for the uh, local stuff. We'll move on. There's a pretty big football game going on this Sunday. Um, if you folks haven't already heard, um, <laughs> Eagles and the Chiefs Super Bowl 57 uh, should be a very, very exciting game. Um, I think both of these teams, you know, I think evenly matched would kind of just be a would just be a cliche, but I do think that, you know, both of these teams are very dangerous with what they can do um, offensively. Um, you know, obviously we know what the Chiefs can do with Mahomes and Kelsey, even if they're not at 100%. Um, but I think, you know, the Eagles have breezed their way through most of the season. You know, I think that some of the hiccups they had were due to injury in the regular season. But I think, you know, yeah, you can make the argument that, yeah, they kind of got lucky against the 49ers. But this is a really damn good football team. Um, you know, number one seed in the NFC for a reason. The running game and their offensive line has been probably been the best group in the league. Um, and defensively, just scary, scary front four, scary front seven, whatever you want to call it. You know, I believe it. What, 70 sacks this year? I mean, can't make stats like that up. So really think that it's going to be one in the trenches, uh, this particular game. You know, how do the Chiefs hold up against the Eagles' offensive line? How does the Chiefs' offensive line hold up against the Eagles' D-line? I think that is really kind of the matchup that's going to decide the game. Because I think the Chiefs, other than the Eagles, probably have the best defense, best offensive line in the NFL. And you have the Eagles, the best defensive line in football with all the sacks they've been able uh, to rack up. So I really think that's going to be the difference. I think Philadelphia's ability to be able to run the ball and control the clock could be a big factor in this game. But I think for the Eagles' defense, you know, how do you confuse Mahomes? How do you limit him? How do you limit him from creating plays? Because, yes, he does have that high ankle sprain, but, you know, the two weeks off is probably going to help him. So, you know, what do the Eagles do? How do they figure out who they're putting on Travis Kelsey? You know, how do they play against some of the speed that the Chiefs have with their wide receivers, but also with their running backs? You know, Isaiah Pacheco is huge in that Bengals game. So very curious to see how the Eagles match up with the Chiefs. But I think as good as Mahomes and Kelsey have been, I just don't think that the Chiefs defense can match up well enough against the Eagles offense. And I think that's kind of where my concern is. I think if the Eagles are able to control the clock, keep the turnovers low, they should be able to win. I think I do have a concern, though, that if Kansas City is able to kind of handle the Chiefs, or not handle the Eagles' offensive line and their running game, can you rely on Jalen Hurts to win the game? And I think 
recently Jalen Hurts has not been at his best. You know, you could say that it's due to the shoulder injury a little bit that he suffered a couple of weeks ago, but I think he didn't really do much in the passing game last week, didn't really have to against the Giants. So it just is curious to me what are the Eagles going to do if they have to rely on Hurts to throw the ball 30 times in this game. I don't think they're going to have to, but, you know, it's something to think about. So I think for the Eagles, it's easy completions. It's getting the ball to Kenneth Gainwell, getting the ball to Boston Scott, you know, kind of similar to how the Chiefs are going to get the ball to McKinnon and uh, Isaiah Pacheco. So I think you're going to see a fairly high-scoring game, but I think the Eagles' offense is just going to be a little bit too much for the Chiefs' defense. So I do like the Eagles to win this game, but, you know, both teams are number one seeds for a reason. So you could see a really good game on Sunday night. So looking forward to that game. Some other NFL news. The Panthers have hired a new defensive coordinator. Um, uh, let me... Ijairo Evero will be the new defensive coordinator for the Panthers. He was the Broncos defensive coordinator this past season. Brian Schottenheimer hired as the new Cowboys offensive coordinator as Kellen Moore is now with the Chargers. And the Saints are bringing in Joe Woods to be their new defensive coordinator. Um, and then obviously the uh, flag football pro, pro Bowl game uh, went on yesterday. And I think that the players are pretty happy with it. So be curious to see if that continues. Didn't really watch too much of that, but it looked like the players had fun. And I think that's all you can do is I think let the players just have fun and go out there, have a good time, you know not have to go hard enough that you suffer an injury, although I think that Miles Garrett suffered an injury in that game yesterday, so um, that's too bad, but, you know, anything that's exciting for the players, you know, is exciting, so be interesting to see what goes on the rest of the offseason. Obviously, Tom Brady announced his, you know, second retirement that, you know, saying it is for good this time, although, you know, we'll see. <laughs> You know, I think it's just, I don't know, you know, I think and someone may have said this on a podcast that, yeah, it's easy now to say that, you know, I'm done, I'm not going to come back after, you know, you suffered through a season getting hit a lot. But, you know, I think really we'll see around free agency in the draft and, you know, is he really going to be retired? You know, I hope he stays retired. You know, it's hard enough for me to see him go through that last year and, have to, you know, play through a season where his team really wasn't very good. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Be curious to see if you see him as um, a Fox analyst for the Super Bowl this weekend. So keep your eyes out for that. Um, so I think we're going to move on, talk a little bit about the NBA. Obviously a massive trade yesterday with the Nets and the Mavericks, Kyrie Irving announcing uh, over the weekend that he was, or maybe, no, I think it was late last week that he had announced it, or the Nets had announced that he was going to be 
he was going to be looking for a trade. Wish granted. The Nets sent him to the Mavericks in exchange for Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a first-round pick, and two second-round picks. So somewhat of a decent package for the Nets. I think there's some rumors that the Nets might want to flip Spencer Dinwiddie, but I think it's pretty solid return for the Nets, to be perfectly honest. And, you know, Kyrie, I really don't want to spend a lot of time on him because I feel like I've said my piece about him. But, you know, good luck to the Mavericks. That's all I'm going to say, you know. But, you know, I think that they had said that they're, you know, willing to kind of just see how the rest of the season plays that plays out um, in terms of how he fits with Luka. I mean, I think that it's stylistically, it's not actually a bad fit because I think, you know, the, the Mavericks are looking for another kind of star player to take some of the pressure off of Luka. And I think Kyrie with his skill set, you know, is a pretty good match. You know, I think being, having him coached by Jason Kidd, I think that uh, Mavericks GM he's familiar with too. So it might not actually be a bad trade. It's just, you know, can the Mavericks keep him focused? You know, is he going to be able to be available? You know, I think that's really the biggest question. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I think you definitely are going to see some more trades this week, especially probably Thursday too on the actual deadline. Um, couple of recent brawls in the NBA recently with Dylan Brooks and uh, Donovan Mitchell going at it last week. Then over the weekend, Austin Rivers and Mo Bamba suspended multiple games for their role in a brawl. The uh, Warriors had Seth, Seth Curry go down with an injury Saturday night. He's expected to be out for multiple weeks past the All-Star break, so that could affect some uh, players that could get selected for the All-Star game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens um, if there's a possible injury replacement. Um, we'll take a look at the NBA games tonight. Obviously, Celtics and Pistons, 7 o'clock in Detroit. Cleveland and Washington will also play at 7. And then at 7.30 on NBA TV, the Clippers against the Nets. Unclear about whether uh, Dinwiddie would be able to play for Brooklyn in this game. Uh, Kevin Durant obviously still out. At 8 o'clock, you have a couple games, San Antonio and Sh Chicago, Sacramento and Houston. And then at 9 o'clock, Dallas and Utah. And then 10 o'clock, Oklahoma City and then the Warriors. And then on NBA TV at 10, the Bucks and the Blazers. So we'll take a brief look at the standings. Celtics still hold that top spot in the East. Just a game over the second place Bucks, who have won seven straight in nine out of ten, so they're breathing down the Celtics' neck a little bit. The Sixers are in third place, Nets are in fourth, followed by the Cavaliers and the Heat, and then in the play in positions, Knicks are in seventh, Hawks in eighth, Bulls in ninth, Wizards in tenth, with the Pacers and the Raptors just a half game back of that final play in spot. In the Western Conference, Denver has, well, for the moment yesterday, it equaled the Celtics record, but they lost last night, so they are uh, still in first place in the conference. Celtics still with the best record in the league by half a game. The Grizzlies in second place, four and a half games back. 
and then the Kings are in third, followed by the Clippers, the Suns, and the Mavericks, and then in the play-in spots. Minnesota in seventh, Golden State in eighth, New Orleans in ninth, and then the Utah Jazz in tenth with Portland a half game back of that last play-in spot. So I think we're going to jump over and move to the NHL. Obviously, the All-Star weekend was this past weekend, you know, always a fun event for players and their families. You know, I know that there's been a lot of talk on the hockey Twitter recently about, you know, the players maybe not giving their full effort, you know, and kind of making the event boring. Well, I don't know. I'm not really sure how you can change that. But, you know, I think it's it's fun. You know, it's fun for the players and their families and things like that. And I just think at the end of the day, it's an all-star game. It's an all-star weekend. It doesn't really need to be taken that seriously. You know, yeah, it would be nice to have players maybe try a little harder, I guess, but it's just like, I don't know. That's just a tough position to put players in that, oh, you have to try harder. You know, not that there is going to be risk-free injury, but it's just like, I don't know. People have fun watching it. It's like, the the main the main draw of that to me, you know, is younger kids, you know, kids that may not be familiar with the game of hockey. And it's like, yeah, you know, you show them show them a good time. You know, yeah, maybe it's difficult for diehard hockey fans, but it's like, who cares? It's a fun event, that's really what it's supposed to be. So I don't really want to listen to people being like, Oh, it's boring, you know, try harder. It's like I don't I don't I don't know what you expect. Um, you know, the three-on-three tournament was, you know, kind of fun to watch on Saturday. The Atlantic Division beat the Central Division in the final, so they win. You know, I think they've done the three-on-three tournament for a number of years, and I think it is still fun. I think I would like to see maybe a slight change to that, maybe shorter periods. You know, it is strange that they do two 10-minute periods, I feel like. It might be cooler to do three five-minute periods, but, you know, who knows? It might be difficult to do that with, you know, intermissions and things like that, but you know, who knows? Um, an exciting weekend, I think. Some fun events, you know, fastest skaters, fun to watch, hardest shot as well. So just some fun events that are interesting. Um, the Islanders yesterday giving Bo Horvat an eight-year extension, $8.5 million per season. So he will be an Islander for the foreseeable future. Uh, Matthew Kachuk won MVP honors um, in the All-Star game. Obviously, Panthers player, so it was exciting to see him do well. David Pasternak had a couple goals um, in his All-Star games. The Washington Capitals giving a new contract to Sonny Milano. And the All-Star game will be in Toronto in 2024. So the NHL standings at the All-Star break. Bruins, uh, obviously, in first place in the Atlantic with 83 points. 13 points clear of second place Toronto. 18 points clear of third place Tampa Bay. In the Metro, Carolina in the lead with 76 points. Followed by the Devils with 68 and the Rangers with 62 in the wild card spots, you have Washington with 60 points, Pittsburgh with 57. Buffalo is a point back. The Islanders are two points back, and the Panthers 
are three points back, so it'll get pretty interesting for that last wildcard spot, or last wildcard spots in the East. In the West, the Stars lead the Conference and lead the Central with 66 points. Winnipeg in second with 58. Then Minnesota with 50, or Winnipeg in second with 65, I should say. Um, and then Minnesota in third with 58. In the Pacific, Seattle with 63 points has the division lead over the Kings based on the fewer amount of games played. And then the Vegas Golden Knights in third place with 62. They've lost four in a row. And then the wild card spots, Edmonton and Colorado with um, Calgary, even in points with Colorado, but Colorado with the advantage with the fewer games played. So six games on the NHL schedule tonight. Tampa Bay and Florida, New York Islanders and Philadelphia at 7. Calgary and the Rangers, Vancouver and the Devils at 7.30. And then at 8.30, Anaheim and Dallas and 9 o'clock, Minnesota and Arizona. So that's what it looks like on the NHL uh, scoreboard tonight with some games after the All-Star break. Bruins obviously off until next weekend. So... I think it's probably going to do it for me this week. Uh, be back with you folks guest Friday, recapping the Celtics moves or non-moves at the deadline. We'll see. And then we'll also break down the other moves from around the NBA. Everyone have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk to you on Friday.